folks. Welcome to another episode of Catch Up, the podcast about contemporary hip-hop that examines where hip-hop has been, where it's going, and where it is. I'm Jordan Suwami. And I'm James Rathbone. And this week we are talking about Beyonce's Homecoming. It's a new documentary uh, and concert film based off of her 2018 legendary Coachella performance, dubbed Beachella. But before we get into that, we have a, a major housekeeping note. Uh, and that is we've launched a Patreon, uh, finally, after after much, much discussion. <laughs> uh, but basically, if you've been listening to the podcast or know anything about the constellation of Boosie Fade properties, of which there are six online communities, a film series, and multiple parties, um, we basically invest like a lot of time and energy and money into keep, kind of keeping the machine going. And... We need some help to kind of to continue to continue growing at the pace that we've been going, mm-hmm. and to continue to bring like interesting events and new opportunities. Um, some of which we have to go completely out of pocket for. We're looking for some support. So if you've gotten anything like out of any of our events or the online communities or this podcast, any contribution would, would be greatly appreciated. We pay our producer Kyle out of our own pocket, and we'd like to continue to paying him, and we'd like to increase the amount we paid him to uh compensate him for all of his hard hard work yeah i mean you know we're almost a year in um the more money that we can make from patreon the more we can more episodes we can continue to make so if you like listening to the show contribute to the patreon if you can afford it it will mean we produce a lot more episodes and we have a variety of rewards which include uh t-shirts custom playlists um what else have we got james you know what don't we have i've <laughs> <laughs> uh, got a sponsorship package that's so right. you know if you got a business a service a good that you offer to the public give us a little bit of money it's it, you know people spend billions of dollars every year on advertising and marketing but for a pretty low price you can be a sponsor of this podcast get a little ad on it reach thousands of people it's uh it's just good financial sense. And also, you know, it's just a way to keep something that you like going. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. Let's get into the episode. So, James, what is Coachella? It's a very good question, Jordan. Coachella is a uh, gathering of young adults that happens in the desert every spring. In California. In California. Uh, they get together to listen to music and wear flower crowns and spend a lot of money to uh, experience near dehydration <laughs> and uh, wait in, in porta potty lines and take photos of themselves to put on Instagram. <laughs> uh, apart from that, traditionally started as like a, a rock indie uh, alternative concert festival as most music festivals in this era did yes of course like Lollapalooza, pitchfork i guess Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh woodstock 99 that had a good mixer yeah (laughs) you got dmx performing you had some limp biscuit yeah you know some riots some uh, riots riots, some violence as is the you know woodstock what's woodstock without riots they said they're doing it again and i'm like you motherfuckers trying to kill people yeah (laughs) (laughs) like just call it something else like So, uh, what kind of sets Coachella apart from uh, the many other festivals that have appeared in the last decade? Uh, you know, you have like Bonnaroo, Oceaga, 
et cetera, et cetera, uh, Governor's Island, what have you. Coachella, um, for whatever reason, has maybe because it was sort of their first or because of its proximity to Los Angeles, mm -hmm. uh, has become sort of the most culturally significant of all the music festivals. It does sort of hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. Mm -hmm. um, at some point it expanded. And I'm not sure what year it was. In the last five years, I think it expanded to two weekends. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I also think that part of what makes Coachella occupy this position is its proximity to Los Angeles. And you have a bunch of celebrities trawling around. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like celebrity summer camp for a lot of these people. Yeah. Um, it. I don't know. It seems like a... I don't know. It's 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 actually bonkers. I mean, I did see this one tweet that kind of stood out to me. Mm -hmm. That was like, imagine having Coachella money and then spending it on Coachella. Mm. Yeah, because <laughs> it's probably what a couple thousand dollars. Got to be man. Because the flights, uh, flights, accommodation, accommodation, it really gets you drugs. Yeah, you know, fifteen dollars water bottles. And 50, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you know, as you can maybe tell from the way we're talking about it, there's something about Coachella that uh, just invites derision a little bit mm -hmm. um it's the flower crowns it's the flower crowns it's kind of the posturing i think of the like regular attendees it's and, and it's not to say that they don't like or care about the music but it's this sort of like pseudo spiritual like i mean like one of the things that baby Coach burning man yeah coachella is sort of associated with a light cultural appropriation of like wearing headdresses to it and and like the kind of like bougie nouveau hippie I don't know. Again, like sort of. I imagine there's a lot of white dreads there. Yeah, I think it's like white dreads, but white dreads of people who like thought that they were the first person to do white dreads, not like <laughs> people who've been in like drum circles for twenty years. You know, who yeah. would be like, uh, like the classic like patchouli style, but like people who are like experimenting with white dreads. That's right. you know, they're not That's lifelong right. like committed white dread types. Although they're probably some of those too. Mm -hmm. Or maybe the flower crown has replaced the white dread. It might, it might have, or like the headdress. I think the headdress and the and the white dreads are sort of part of the same ecosystem of white people's hair. <laughs> One of my favorite subjects, yeah. white people's hair. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all of that is to say that it still has huge significance within the music industry itself. Mm -hmm. you, you know, people wait on the announcement of Coachella lineups with the like the same like fevered anticipation of like an Oscar nomination mm -hmm, announcement mm -hmm. and uh it's it's there's often sort of a lot of questions about uh, what state a person's career is in if they're on the on it or what how big the font how is big the font uh, is. earlier this year Burna boy had a the the Nigerian uh rapper Burna boy had a a little freak out when his name was not very prominently displayed on the Coachella lineup <laughs> and it was pretty funny. I think he, I think if I recall correctly, he also or uh, there was like a meme going around that was just only his name. Right. <laughs> it was like burn a boy, burn a boy, burn yeah. a boy. But um despite all of this and despite yeah. going on for you know 20 years or 20 something? nearly 20 years, I believe, uh they had never had a black woman headliner. Yeah. Well, Part I think it's also like because it, like we were mentioning like it was traditionally a very rock heavy rock heavy. Venue. I think 2010 was the year they had Jay-Z as one of the headliners yeah. and I feel like that's sort of when it changed. Yeah, it slowly started to change over the years. It became more like it became more pop in a lot of ways. Uh and then hip hop success has sort of come with that. So since then having people like The Weeknd or Drake Eminem, perform, Eminem Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. Uh, obviously, there's one of the all-timers being the Dr. Dre and Snoop 
performance with the Tupac hologram. Uh-huh. I mean, the Tupac hologram to me is sort of like a perfect representation of a lot about what Coachella is about. You know, it's like uh, it's bringing the dead back to life. Um, sort of like uh, these. Yeah, I mean, more in this. It like it's kind of like that in that it's these sort of. Uh, classically kind of like L.A. Hollywood culturally tone deaf moments, mm, you know, mm, like mm. like the Tupac hologram. You can just imagine the board meeting where like the hologram people met with the Coachella people, <laughs> and they turned out they were related. <laughs> <laughs> and like they're like, "What about Tupac Shakur?" And they're like, "Well, Tupac's dead, like not in hologram form." <laughs> And they were like, Tupac's going to go on a hologram tour after this. That's like the only, that's the kind of idea that only like a, a lifetime of cocaine could like tell you is like, that's what the people want. Imagine you getting to see both a hologram and Tupac. That's wild. It's actually crazy that even actually happened. Yeah. It was so silly. It yeah. is just so deeply silly. He wasn't even wearing a shirt in his hologram. I like, love give that, him though. That's authenticity. Yeah, it is authenticity. You know? Like, you got to see the thug life tattoo. Yeah. You know? Like... If two, I mean... I wonder what Tupac would think about the idea of him being resurrected via hologram. You know, it's very hard to say. I mean, the thing about people not being alive anymore is that they you just never know what their opinion would be. Yeah, you know, which I, is probably why you should respect <laughs> their. Uh, you I know, mean, but you know, identity. that was done with with you know the Shakur family's blessing, right? So you know, it's it's kind of hard to say. I mean, one thing, just as an aside, one thing I always think about like Chris Rock said, is that people always talk about like what Tupac would be doing if he was alive today. Like you're like, Oh, if Tupac was alive, this like, you know, this mumble rap stuff wouldn't stand or he Mm -hmm. wouldn't let all these fake gangsters posture around. And he's like, he's like, yeah, you know, maybe if Tupac was alive, he'd be like, you know, a political activist or a politician, or maybe he would be the lead of a Tyler Perry movie. Yeah. You know, yeah, maybe (laughs) like, so it's, it's hard to say, you can't really predict what Tupac would be doing. And I think that's, that's an accurate thing. Yeah. I, so, you know, I think when I found out that Beyonce was doing Coachella, there was even maybe a slight feeling like, is she, like, above Coachella? Because as much as, like, some of the biggest artists in the world are the people who headline Coachella, there's also, like, a sense that, like, Beyonce is not, like, one, just a, one of the biggest artists in the world. She's Beyonce. Yeah. I mean, because Beyonce does, like, stadium shows. Yes. You know? She- and, like... And when she wants, like, it's not like, like most artists, when they have to, when they do a stadium show, it's like, there's so much machinery around them that needs to go into the promotion of it. And often a lot of artists, kind of the moment when they realize their career isn't what they think it is, is when they do stadium shows. And it, uh, it's kind of... And yeah, and I think a lot of artists, they they have a very short window for when they can do that stadium show. It's yeah. like after a massive album and like mm-hmm. some kind of like other thing that's happening in the pop cultural sense. But yeah. Beyonce is kind of always in the pop cultural conversation because so much of it emanates from her. Yes. You know, like from, from her like self title, the self title album in 2013 with the, the visual album Mm -hmm. to like lemonade, like Mm -hmm. the, the, just like, she is the genesis of so many conversations in in regards to um, like race, like women, women empowerment, Mm -hmm. you know, like just, the, the 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 levels of discourse that come from things that she she does it's like it's dizzying mm-hmm. and i mean again once upon a time like you know and no shots to the killers uh but like it was it was like like people who 
headline Coachella, like the Killers, or like even The Weeknd, who has had many number one、mm-hmm. records recently, Eminem, who has an enormously huge legacy, and, and we will actually be doing a. An episode soon about his legacy. Yeah, in the next few, in the next two weeks. Yeah, there will be an episode about Eminem and what his legacy is. Even both of those artists who are huge and two of the biggest artists that Coachella's ever had sort of pale in comparison to Beyonce. That's true. At least from our perspective. And I think just also in terms of like, I mean, just just to back to the earlier point, like in terms of like cultural conversation,、mm-hmm. like The Weeknd's made all these great albums. Eminem's made a few great albums. One really good album. Yeah. And- Um, a lot of other stuff, but it's like neither of them are at the center of the pop culture discourse right now. No, and Beyonce is. Yeah, and I don't know. Beyonce was also announced to was supposed to headline last year.、Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, in 2017,、mm-hmm. but then she got pregnant. Got pregnant, and that so then she like didn't perform that year, and and then kind of this 2018 part of the the theme of this Netflix documentary is that it's like. It's called Homecoming, which is in the tradition of the HBCUs, which is like historically black colleges and universities. And Homecoming is like the big—that's the big weekend. It's、mm-hmm. the big celebration. It's the biggest moment of the year. You have people coming back to their school. There's the big football game.、Mm-hmm. There's a huge battle of the bands. Usually, it's、mm-hmm. like it is just a big cultural thing. You've maybe heard a lot of rappers reference the Howard Homecoming. Howard.、Mm-hmm. The, The college in DC is just like very important in African American culture and history,、mm-hmm. and it's it's just something that like people look forward to, you know, like it, it, just entire generations of of people in a lot of the U.S. look forward to it. Yeah, I think it's it's sort of this marker of、um, like black excellence, and you know, if you think of historically、uh, these colleges, what they've represented, and、uh, the kind of like. You know the 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 sort of uniting power that they have as sort of, you know, a lot of like a、uh, of the sort of hip hop culture we talk about comes out of sort of like lower class life. Whereas I, th- I feel like,、uh, you know, the historical black college homecoming is sort of this recognition of like middle class and ascension mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. black culture. Yeah, I think it's true. I mean, I think even and sometimes it's also people who are coming from like a working class background who are like. The first of, person from their family. That's right. Or like shifting. Like when I lived in, I lived in Houston. I lived in a really black and Latino or Hispanic area,、um, Southwest A Leaf Texas, which is where Maxo Cream is from,、hmm. um, and it, and Lizzo as well.、Um, but when I think about like people talking about colleges and stuff, like there was a lot of people that went to the University of Tech. Texas at Austin and you know LSU, but there was a huge amount of people who talked about like Prairie View, which is like a, a HBCU that Beyonce also mentions in this documentary. Like people were talking about TCU, they were talking about a lot of these like colleges that were a little closer to home and had they just had a different resonance to them. The the kind of pride that you had f- from an LSU versus a Prairie View was was slightly different. You、mm-hmm. know, it was like I think、uh, a place like Prairie View, there felt like there was like a connection to. You know, it's like you're attaching yourself to this this greater genealogy of just black experience and representing, and yeah, and I feel like that's a lot of that stuff is the stuff that Beyonce wanted to come through in her performance,、mm-hmm. and even the idea the idea、uh, which she talks about and which a lot of people have talked about the idea of doing the kind of performances she did, which is like very focused on the HBCU culture. So it's like there's a drum line,、mm-hmm. there are a lot of dancers,、yeah, there's baton、steps. twirling, there's stepping. 
um, which is like a big thing in the the Black Greek life of fraternities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like and doing that at Coachella in front of all these like flower crown hippie folk, yeah, and kind of like forcing them to to engage with a, a, a level of like black experience that they probably don't have a lot of connection to mm-hmm. um, is is a really bold move. Yeah, you know, it sort of uh, in some ways represents a lot of kind of similar to what has made Beyonce, I think, so potent in the last 10 years as a pop culture figure, because it is something that is so distinctly black and, uh, you know, rooted in, in her identity and in the greater sort of black cultural identity that is being presented in this unapologetic way to white people, but also in a way that like, the, it's like very powerful and welcoming and it's not sort of confrontational in a, in a traditional sense, mm-hmm. you know? No, it's true. It's true. And, you know, I just want to preface all of this by saying that if you haven't watched uh, the Beyonce homecoming documentary, uh, you got to do that ASAP. Like mm-hmm. even whether you're a Beyonce fan or not, this is something that if you have even the most passing interest in music, which if you're listening to this podcast, you do, you have to see it. Mm-hmm. This is like, this is, I would, this is like one of the, I feel like one of the most culturally significant documents of our time, to be quite honest with you. I also think it's like, if you don't know Beyonce, or if you don't, if you just never kind of have got what it is about Beyonce that so speaks to people, there is probably no better articulation of it, because I think it encompasses so much of what makes her, her, and so, like, potent, Um, because it it really shows you her, how incredible of a dancer is, how how she is, how deep her catalog is. How great of a singer. How an amazing voice, you know, how she has like an all-time voice in pop music. Mm-hmm. How deeply enmeshed in the culture she is. It, and I mean, it just is, I guess like what the, the thing that really sticks out about it is that when you think about the history of sort of Coachella and, you know, having the cure or the killers or you know good rock bands perform and then you see the level of dedication and how elaborate uh beyonce's show is it it speaks to what kind of the level of achievement and ambition that beyonce represents so potently absolutely um and the 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 show opens in a really amazing way uh there is a you see just one drummer it's focused on her face and she's just drumming away you know <laughs> and on. as as like the drumming gets faster and she's built into crescendo her face gets more intense mm-hmm. and then she like kind of like you know hits it off and then you see a, like a row of dancers in like these crazy tiger suits yeah and they all like move from side to side and eventually give way to beyonce mm-hmm. looking like honestly you've never seen anyone look before like a goddess the, like a goddess and the most amazing like queen uh nefertiti outfit made by balmain mm-hmm. <laughs> like and just like the swag and her the way that she walks right away mm-hmm. like you're going to be captivated from the jump yeah so they're, they're, they play the first song that's played is from a new orleans brass band um the re- the rebirth brass band it's called do what you wanna and it just sounds incredible mm-hmm. and some of these dancers in these crazy tiger suits have dance solos to it and it's just like the energy is so palpable. Mm-hmm. At this point, Beyonce is off screen. And then she appears at the top of this pyramid. Mm-hmm. And 
says hello to Coachella and immediately yeah. launches into crazy in love. Yeah. And like the transition, and this is another thing that we'll get into a little more, but this is like part of what the most exciting part of the show was for me is mm-hmm. how smooth the transitions are. The musical direction is fucking outstanding. Yeah. And let's, let's listen to a little bit of that. The moment. live crazy in love. Cause all the songs we were going to be mentioning yeah. are from Beyonce's live album that she put out with a documentary. That's right. Homecoming, the live album. So, Let's let's listen to a little bit of the do what you wanna and then we'll listen to the crazy in love part. thing that is really amazing in this is like you know similarly to how we've seen Kendrick and like Beyonce's in this too but you've seen different artists in the last few years who really have this a mind towards showing a really a diversity of the black experience in terms of musical production Solange Mm -hmm. says it as well Mm -hmm. which is like you know on on um on on a seat at the table it's like the master p interludes Mm -hmm. or even even on her most recent album like you know having playboy cardi have having gucci man it's kind of dj screw influences and yeah a lot it's like a lot of and another interesting note about this performance is you see beyonce doing that here so right after the crazy in love part she she sings a song called lift every voice which is also known as the black national anthem Mm. and it's just a beautiful showcase moment for just. This is another great part of her, of her thing. I'm trying to be so effusive about this 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 show, but like I watched it, I've watched it a few times now, and it just like it's blown my mind mm-hmm. completely. Like the the level of achievement. Yeah. So she sings "Lift Every Voice," which is just kind of like a ballad, and then th- then uses a transition of "See Murders Down for My Niggas." And goes right into uh, freedom. Yeah. And it's just like, once again, just like a heart-stopping transition. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, another interesting thing is like the 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 style of documentary is like it's essentially it's the performance mm-hmm. with little cutaways with, which feature quotes from like Dr. Tony Morrison and a lot of different like black mm-hmm. intellectuals plus the behind the scenes of putting together the show. Yeah. One of the things that really struck me about the behind the scenes of the show is just how much this must have cost to put together. There's over a hundred dancers alone who are part of the uh, performance. If you look in the credits mm-hmm. and the the band and just how like they were practicing, I think for six months. They they practiced for eight months. Eight so months. Four months of dancing and four months of music. Yeah, leading up to it. Mm-hmm. Now, like supposedly, beyond like Beyonce, I looked into it. Was paid somewhere between three to four million for mm-hmm. it. I, like Beyonce could probably get three to four million for like playing a bar mitzvah Mm -hmm. like there must have been there was something about this performance that she wanted to put like almost a year of beyonce's time into it right after she had a baby what after she had a baby i think it's it's also like it was i think it was said that she was paid whatever between three and four million and she actually Mm -hmm. invested more into the performance yeah more money than she was paid in the performance and um, well, I mean, obviously she came up because she signed a $60 million deal with Netflix to make three specials, of which this was the first one. So yes. that's... Uh, Beyonce knows what she's doing. She understands math, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, but it, you like it's one of those things that it's sort of... It's, it's just interesting that Coachella would get this from her and speaks to Beyonce just understanding things that the rest of us don't see until sort of she does them, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know? And I guess another thing about this like documentary that's worth noting is that if you're watching this expecting to see, you know, real, true kind of like insight or revelatory things in Beyonce's life, you're not really going to get that. You're like, going to get like the, salacious gossip. You mean? Yeah. Or or just like I think people are people are really obsessed with knowing Beyonce in this way that. I don't really know what they expect out of it, but it seems like they demand a lot. They're like, oh, it just seems everything is so perfect with her. I think they like, want they want the kind of Clark Kent, you know, because she's like Superman. Yeah. They want to see like what her sort of domestic everyday, like what is Beyonce like when she, you know, just like lets down her hair and is like a regular person and not this like, like kind of godlike figure. Yeah. and if, But I think the problem is that person doesn't exist. Well, I don't even know if it's that. I think it's just that you're not going to see that person. Right. And also... She doesn't owe you that, yeah, you know, yeah. like it's like she's a performer and she's somebody who at this at this stage in her career has ascended to the point that she's able to control and dictate a lot of how she's seen by the media, mm-hmm. which is an incredible power that so few people are given mm-hmm. and she's wielding it expertly. Mm-hmm. And I can see that some people like they want they want to see more from that. But like that's you're not going to get that. But you don't you don't get to the point of you don't get to being the kind of black woman success story that Beyonce is mm-hmm. with, without having, you know, lived your life like you're running for office. Yeah. But don't you think part of that is also that she would be, is just an insane workaholic, someone who life is pretty in control, you know, constantly. She has like a, a just a, like, like so many people, especially child stars, which she essentially is crumble under fame at some point. Mm. And she never has. Like, not even close. Like, she has actually gone the opposite way, where she's expertly managed, like, all the opportunities that have come to her through fame, as also, as well as dictating the, the sort of terms around it, which 
There are very, very few people have ever, ever been able to do, especially with the kind of monumental success that she has. So doesn't that say something about who she just is? You know, I just no, don't think true. that think there's an artifice, like an artifice around the Beyonce as she presents her as self as this poised, intelligent, incredibly competent, ambitious, artistically driven person. Like, I, I, I just I think that is who she is. Word, word. No, fair point. That's a very fair point. I think I think you're right. I think it's another thing that's really interesting about the documentary is seeing the amount of thought that went into the performance and like mm-hmm. all the things that we're talking about that you feel in terms of just like the diversity of the black experience, the style, the creativity. These are all things that she intended for us to feel. And mm-hmm. you hear her talk about them in the documentary. Yeah. So it's just for me, it's just like when somebody puts puts the kind of it's not just like the execution of the the singing and the dancing and the choreography and the bands and mm-hmm. like this the the dancers it's it's like there is something deeper going at play throughout the entire show yes I, you know i i think that that sort of speaks to what is so amazing about beyonce in some respects that ultimately you know there's with any kind of like entertainer of of like reasonable scale there's a machine behind what they're doing and usually it kind of feels like that machine has some level of um artifice in it or there's some level of sort of like management going on about what they're doing and how they do it and whether that's in the songwriting whether that's in the image whether it's in the artistic and aesthetic choices whether it's in the like people that the artist associates with and collaborates with and you know if you think about someone like taylor swift like taylor swift making a song with like kendrick when she did for example Mm -hmm. it's like you know it's easy to be super cynical about that choice on both of their ends frankly like i uh-huh. i don't blame either of them for doing it i don't i'm not like a someone who kind of hates those types of crossovers mm-hmm. i think they have their own value obviously they have their place they have their place but you know when beyonce makes something like this it's so intentional and it's so sort of true like especially i felt like seeing behind the scenes and seeing just the level of work and seeing the kind of i don't know it ambition that was there from the beginning Mm -hmm. and just like clearly that she just has this work ethic and focus that very few artists have ever had it's it's like she is like a kind of like michael jordan or like federer or like any choose choose one of your you know muhammad ali one of the whatever athlete she has sort of that level of like insane, obsessive, physical, you know, devotion to her craft, mm-hmm. as well as having like a, a whatever, choose whatever, like of your favorite artist, you know, whether it be a, like a writer, a painter, a musician, their level of sort of artistic focus. She has both of those levels mm-hmm. going. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, it's, you know, we, we kind of talk, we, we mentioned that people can sort of find uh beyonce they have this sort of cliche about her being hard to relate to um because it's sort of i think people can feel like well you know isn't she imperfect like us or something like that it's not really what it's about yeah that's right it's like the fact that she is able to put out this work at this level it's at this stage in her career at this stage in her career she's you know over 20 years in Mm -hmm. of of not even just trying to make it being a star and this is like not the trajectory of of most 
stars of almost anybody pop star, of pop stars pretty much it's anybody like, i don't know who your, else it has that uh-huh, as your career continues to go on you get more famous and more successful after you know a certain number of years uh-huh you know like like uh most most artists career they get maybe a year or two in the limelight big stars maybe five years ten years is like an anomaly yeah like a drake kind of thing yeah and and even you know and then you have someone like her who it and it isn't even through a reinvention but through just a continual growth on like a very mm. steady path yeah um do you want to talk about the dancing yeah let's talk about the dancing the dancing is my favorite part of the documentary i mean like as much as i enjoy music which is incredible or sort of getting the perspective on the the production the dancing is like sublime and make like made me gasp like throughout the whole thing it wasn't something i like got used to mm-hmm. because you know beyonce is an incredibly gifted dancer and you know it's it's just like one of those things where it's like anyone who is like at a certain level of their craft they'll also probably have immaculate taste for that craft mm, mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and so it was like the people just sort of seeing like the people who beyonce chose to be a part of this or who have so much individual personality and yet can also be a part of this like greater sort of sum of their parts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's like it is honestly sublime. Like a, the, like I there's no I mean, you know, we are being super effusive about it, but like the about this documentary, but it's it's totally deserved. I mean, the dancing is unreal. It's I I you know, I I watched I didn't watch the entire Beachella performance uh, when it aired on Coach, like the Coachella live stream, I just watched like maybe the first half of it, mm-hmm. and I remember just being feeling very overwhelmed with how impressed I was. Like I was just like, I'm not used to this kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. And when I watched the doc- when I watched the documentary, I was like gasping and I was like talking to my TV. I was like, maybe my roommates can hear me. I was just <laughs> like, I was just like in my own world because it's like it really is a very, it's just incredibly impressive and you know you mentioned the individuality and the sum of the parts like the, the crazy thing for me was watching that and thinking like wow there's just so much energy and so much vitality and so much so much like different so many different flavors mm-hmm. and then watching the documentary you hear beyonce talk about that's what they were going for like that's like they wanted each dancer to bring their individuality they wanted people that look different they mm-hmm. wanted like different shades of women they wanted different sizes of women it's mm-hmm. like and it's like part of part of what her what she was going for was kind of inspiring this this intense feeling i mean first of all just if you're not black you're just going to be impressed with the quality of dancing because it's it's top notch Mm -hmm. and then if you are black you feel this pride because it's like the the moves that you're seeing in the flavor is like a uniquely black thing Mm -hmm. and that's what she was going for there's actually a track on the album that talks about that so let's let's actually listen to it right now i grew up in houston texas visiting prayer view we rehearsed at TSU for many years in Third Ward. And I always dreamed of going to an HBCU. My college was Destiny's Child. My college was traveling around the world and life was my teacher. I wanted a black orchestra. I wanted the steppers. I needed the vocalists. I wanted different characters. I didn't want us all doing the same thing. and. The amount of swag is just limitless. Like, the things that these young people can do 
with their bodies and the, the music they can play and the drum rolls and the haircuts and the bodies and the it's just not right. It's just so much damn swag. And you know, it's this is a big ass performance. It's Coachella, so there are guests. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the interesting thing is, like Beyonce has collaborated with a lot of people in her career. Shakira, Slim Thug and Bun B, Shauna Paul, Shauna Paul. Uh, I mean, you know, Kanye, Andre three thousand, etc. But she kind of kept it pretty close to home mm-hmm. for this. I, she was saying it's a, like a big part of of this was about like family. Family is like really important to her. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I'm doing Beyonce's PR right now. <laughs> I'm just like so like amazed with this with the performance and the, do- the resultant documentary that I can't help but just uh, <laughs> repeat her words as though it's the gospel. But it's almost like you know PR exists to give like the ideal account of something. Mm-hmm. And Beyonce is the ideal. So it, you're just reporting straightforwardly <laughs> and factually. You know? Uh-huh. So, you know, again, she could have had a lot of different people. She could have tried to, you know, bring a certain relevance by bringing, like, more contemporary artists on. Uh-huh. But instead, she brought in out four people. She brought out her husband. The famous American rapper, Jay-Z. Yeah who she's collaborated with multiple times. One of my my favorite moments of this whole performance is the part where Jay-Z just kind of like bows to her at the end. Uh And she just looks, you know, (laughs) so happy. And it's like, it's like a really kind of touching moment a Mm -hmm, little bit. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like Jay-Z, you know, best rapper alive, self-made near billionaire. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, you can tell he's still after all these years, they've been together for, a very long time now uh-huh. he's still in awe of beyonce i think he's probably still in awe of the fact that they're still married because <laughs> fucked up nigga you almost got your whole shit rocked man like imagine having to live with yourself after you lose beyonce and then you have to go and date somebody oh my else god. oh my god imagine being on that first date and and like being like uh how did your last relationship <laughs> <end>? <laughs> Yeah, just like, uh, yeah, I went on a date with this guy last night. He just kept talking about his ex. <laughs> Hope is like, you know, clearly one of the most brilliant men in music mm-hmm. and almost made one of the dumbest decisions in life. You know what, though? I Like, I, I like to believe that it's like, you know, women probably th- have been throwing themselves at Jay-Z for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And it's like... In his darkest hour, he he, he broke, and it, and and even Jay Z is a fallible human being, but not Beyonce. That's what, <laughs> that's sort of what the, the moral of the story is, because Beyonce even has the grace to forgive. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. And uh, create a solid album where it's like the album that like it's like there's really complexity if you think of thinking about lemonade which also came to streaming on apple music and spotify um in t- in time with with the release of this documentary is like the the range of emotions in terms of su- subject matter in the songs and like even the the sequencing of lemonade is really amazing too mm-hmm. and it's like you get the you know the the anger mm-hmm. you know sorry you mm-hmm. know tell him boy bye you yeah, know like sm- kind of like the smugness of like like you, you don't you fucked up yeah there's also don't hurt yourself like yeah. man you fucked up 
don't get fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, like, I don't know. Um, so Jay-Z appears. Um, so, Solange, Solange comes out and a, does the choreo for a really, Get Me Bodied. A really, really endearing moment. Oh, that is like the most fun. It's like one of the most fun moments of the documentary. Because yeah. you see how much fun that they're having up yeah. there. And it's like... It's it's just like these sisters who have obviously had such a um, extraordinary familial relationship and in, in like such a crazy circumstance as like the Knowles family is, uh, but like that like the way they've developed this like bond through their art and through dance mm-hmm. and just like the the immense skill that both of them have. I you know we we talked a lot about uh, on this podcast about collaborative projects and i know you probably your eyes are probably going to roll uh-huh. but imagine a solange and beyonce collaborative project they gotta do that they actually. gotta do it they it have would to be do it. so good yeah i would just love to see i would just love to see the tweets that would come out of excited <laughs> you know would, beehive folk it would be like it just makes so much sense and it doesn't have to be something they do soon yeah like you know it just i would love to see that they're strengths combined because i think they're really complementary and yes, the visual album that would come out it's true it's like it might be what global it might like solve global warming naomi klein get at us yeah yeah get at the Knowles family <laughs> um no i th- well i think it's i think another thing that is kind of like underrated is that mm-hmm. And something i realized when i saw you know salons come out is that you don't really see them performing together Ever. Ever. I don't think. Yeah. And if, I'm sure that it's obviously a deliberate choice to mm-hmm. like have their own artistic identities, especially for Solange, mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, being in the shadow of someone like Beyonce is like a lot to handle. But Solange has done such a good job of setting herself apart and offering something that's connected but different. Mm-hmm. And seeing them together, you know, was just really sublime. Yeah. And, and, and it just, I don't know. I mean, who knows? You never really know what the true story of celebrities' lives are. But at the same time, like just watching them together, it like it's hard not for it to feel so good because you see so many other celebrity families that have these toxic relationships. Like who? Hmm. I don't know. Let's see. Like the Jacksons. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> True. You True. know. Um, I mean, there's plenty. Yeah. Plenty of others. Uh, the Osmonds. Yeah. Donnie and I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Gallagher brothers from Oasis. The Wahlbergs. The Wahlbergs? Do they have a... <laughs> <laughs> they got Wahlburgers. Um, so they're doing all right. Wahlburgers, get at us for a sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, the, the last the last uh, people she brings out are none other than Destiny's Child, the, the more recent That's members. Right. That's right. Not the, not the original Kelly form. and Michelle. Yeah. And I don't know. There's something about it. And just like when Say My Name comes on, uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know. It like... It it like was kind of touching. It me. was very touching, and it's also like this is a, this is another thing about. It's just like I, I had the same feeling when I went to see Drake perform with Migos last year. Is like Beyonce's fucking catalog is mm-hmm. it's, it's so incredibly it's deep. so deep. Like yeah. these hits that have like like been at such big parts of your life in like different stages. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a teenage for like a lot of people who are like our age, when you're a teenager, mm-hmm. you know, a young like a young adult. And then you have stuff from now. Like, yeah. And just like seeing her perform with uh, Destiny's Child, do Say My Name, mm-hmm. and do... Um, Lose My Breath. They did Soldier. Soldier. But like another thing that honestly, it's like 
we're, we're going to kind of get to this in a moment. But one of the things that really like blew my mind in this is that um, there's a remix I, I discovered a couple years ago um, of Say My Name that Timbaland did uh, that I put out on a, a mix that unfortunately SoundCloud keeps deleting. Uh, it's sort of like Too a fire. That's why it, it's a problem mm-hmm. uh, of Say My Name. The, the Timbaland remix of Say My Name is like one of my favorite songs I've ever heard in my life. Uh, and... And the fact that she incorporated that interpretation uh-huh. in in this uh, in in this show at Coachella, that's sort of like this, you know, reckoning with her her past and uh, and everything that's led up to it. That like it just showed me how savvy she is because there's so many artists who did projects in the late '90s when like there was so much money in music uh-huh. and people were so prolific that they lost track of a lot of the good stuff that they did. Uh-huh. You know, like. Uh, just to go on a slight tangent, but like if if uh, if you know about '90s rap and you know, like a real like deep uh, have a deep knowledge of it, like a serious head like that, you'll know that like so many like great artists like Wu Tang and Outkast and Tribe and Dilla, etc., D'Angelo, Janet Jackson, etc., have like so many incredible rare songs that for other artists would be like their best song. Uh-huh, uh-huh, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And like the, the Timbaland remix, and this is when Timbaland was like much smaller than he would be a few years later. Mm-hmm. Um, Physically, you mean? <laughs> he just got so buff, dude. <laughs> he got so buff. Uh, that's yes. Both in, in, in all ways, he was much smaller than, uh, that just says so much to me about Beyonce that she would have the awareness Mm-hmm. That this like obscure remix that she put out to one to like that she put out with Destiny's Child would still be like part of her relevant catalog all these twenty years later. Yeah, yeah. That, that to me, I don't know. That says I mean, so much. I think it's also it's also worth noting that Beyonce runs a company called Parkwood Entertainment, and she has a a team of like dozens, if not hundreds, of people. That I, I like. I think that. I wonder, I, like, I, I'm so curious about the the machinations of that of mm-hmm. that company in terms of like how, like, you know, I mean, a few years ago there was this story, and this is mentioned in a great piece on Pitchfork. That's a review of this documentary by Rabia Kamer, um, and it talks about like the a few years ago when Beyonce there was a, a listing for an archivist mm-hmm. for like Beyonce's. Because uh, Beyonce, this is another thing that like I think is worth mentioning is that Beyonce essentially for the last f- few years has been archiving or like cataloging like almost her every moment. So she's like, right. she's filmed like sometimes f- up to 15 or 16 hours a day and she's oh building God. this vast archive right. that I'm sure, you know, we'll be seeing pieces of at some point as, as we continue to go into the future. And the She'll next, probably like, have her own streaming service. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is absolutely going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I just, I just, I'm really curious as to how they, you know, how did that idea come, come to life? Like, mm-hmm. is that, Beyonce's honest, like, I love this, this, this one Timbaland mix of this, or someone's like, oh, do you remember when Timbaland did this thing for you, Beyonce? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Miss Knowles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, uh, Miss Knowles Carter. But I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Let's, let's actually, I mean, we've talked so much about it. Let's listen to the Say My Name from, Homecoming, the live album. Sing a song. 
I hesitate to mention myself in relation to anything uh, to do with this this uh, documentary performance or Beyonce, generally speaking. <laughs> uh, but know there, your role, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was uh, a moment where she mentioned she makes a really quick reference to uh, Playboy Cardi and Little Uzi Vert mm-hmm. song uh, "Woke Up Like This." Mm-hmm. And a few years ago, Jordan and I used to have this kind of conversation when we'd, after we'd encounter like an old head, they don't really exist in the same way or they're, they're, they've, the, 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 they've been pushed of, to the, the margins yeah. of the culture. But not too long ago, the sort of most orthodox perspective for hip hop that I felt like you would encounter was this kind of like, rap ain't what it used to be mm-hmm. you know ever since uh you know new york fell off and the wu-tangs and the Nas's and the whatnots stopped making music as good as they used to mm-hmm. it's just like rap isn't really good anymore and you know as you may be able to tell jordan and i felt the opposite way that rap is constantly growing and there was a lot of very and exciting things happening constantly good it's constantly there's good. always good the, the one of the great things about life now mm-hmm. uh is that there's so much great hip-hop mm-hmm. and it's very easily accessible yeah and if there's you, so much variety that's right that's right and if, if you ever hear somebody say um you know there's just there's nothing good out right now they're mm-hmm. just not looking hard enough yeah and i mean sometimes like uh, you know i can feel like a little uninspired with rap in a two-week period. That's like a very normal thing to feel. Mm-hmm. But the the solution to that is always like digging deeper. Anyway, all of this is to say that we would, after we'd encounter someone like that, and it would happen like pretty regularly, we would talk about how they didn't realize that, that they had lost. Like that perspective, actually, it doesn't, it isn't valid. We, like the, the, the values that we extol in hip hop about the variety, about Southern hip hop, regional, regional, regional hip hop, regional uniqueness, and the, and the importance of that stuff to hip hop culture. Mm-hmm. Over time, we've that perspective, we felt like we won. Yeah, now I mean, we, we don't gloat about it now because basically it's just that's just mainstream, it's just main, now. mainstream hip hop. Yeah. But you know, there's, there's, there was, there's lots of a push and pull with it now. Yeah. I think people just accept that mainstream hip hop is going to be really influenced by regional differences and mm-hmm. uniqueness. And I mean, as we're seeing now with people like Travis Scott, like synthesizing cultures or ASAP Rocky, even it's like a little bit of Memphis, a mm-hmm. little bit of Houston. I mean, you know, Drake is, you know, known for doing this on an even bigger scale. Yeah. So it, that's just like a part of the genre. And it's like, I think personally, I find it to be like a way of celebrating what's great and unique about these different regions. And mm-hmm. in this Beyonce performance, you have her referencing C. Murdo's from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. You have like uh, Big Frida, uh, Pastor Troy is yeah. like referenced, Juvenile, Outcast, like Trigger Man. Yeah, that's the, the, just the the level 
the 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 level of references I think in this in in the performance is another thing that's just like it's another thing to geek out over. I, yeah. Like I mean, it's just it, this whole performance. If you're a, a real serious like, or even a casual music nerd, mm-hmm. there's just so many like tasty morsels of yeah. of of references, allusions, and shout outs that I don't know. It's just really they really went deep on it. Yeah, and 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 you know, so I guess like what I was kind of feeling is like for hip hop, which has had a, you know a very um, at times tense relationship with like the musical orthodoxy where the Grammys, you know, have essentially still are still freezing it out, you know, 30, 40 years later Mm -hmm. where, you know, there's been all kinds of controversy from political figures, from the, the way that the record labels have handled rap to now where hip hop has become so popular. You're seeing kind of culture vultures uh, of, from the, pop side who are you know trying on hip-hop for the day Katy perry yeah miley cyrus yeah many others many many others uh there's is a feeling i got from it was like beyonce is the biggest maybe the biggest artist in the world like musician in the world pop musician in the world whatever however you want to look at it this is sort of her biggest definitive single statement that i i feel like i've ever seen from her yeah and it's written with hip-hop even though she is not a traditional hip-hop artist uh-huh. it is so integral to her identity and and what she would want to make as a statement she would want to make sure that that part of her is within it yes that's true i mean i think this is like you know another thing like i when i was the first time i watched this, i got goosebumps on so many moments and a lot of them were related to these these references to this like hip hop stuff where I'm just like, Oh, is that, Oh, that's back. That's back. That's yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or like, you know, when I heard that, when I heard the C murder song, uh, which is, I, I was just like, is that for real? I was like, am I, am I hearing things? Mm-hmm. But you know, I think it just goes back to the, the message that she was trying to impart and the, just showing the, the diversity of the black experience and black cultural production mm-hmm. and highlighting all of it and giving it this kind of, putting it on the stage with her at one of the biggest moments of her career where she's kind of putting together, you know, all these different bits and pieces from her 22 year career. And she's like connecting herself to all of these artists as well. Exactly. She's bringing them up with, with her. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to me, like, you know, there are so many excellent parts about this documentary, as you may be able to tell by now, but I think if you are a hip hop fan on appreciating the connection that Beyonce has to that world will only make you enjoy this more. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, th- those are the major notes. There's, we have only covered, even with all of this talk, we've o- only covered, I feel like, maybe a fraction of what is actually in the documentary that's mm-hmm. worth noting. Mm-hmm. So, once again, if you haven't seen it, just stop. Just stop. <laughs> you know? get Just get you know carve out some time yeah it's two two hours and 17 minutes Mm -hmm. it's worth every minute and many more you can even take a break in it like it it won't necessarily suffer if you are the type of person that only has like 45 minutes of attention span at once you can watch it in three parts it's true it's true um yeah it was great you know like i the first time i watched it i'm not gonna lie i cried like four different times and i haven't 
cried that much at some at a piece of like art or entertainment since that's like I cried that much over the course of five seasons of Friday Night Lights, and I thought that was a lot. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Coach Taylor's speech would get me get me right in the feels. Yeah, yeah. And Beyonce did it many times in this performance. Yeah, it's I, I you know kind of the the point we're getting at is that. Yeah, it's almost cliche at this point to speak about Beyonce in these kind of, you know, exaltery terms. Mm-hmm. Isn't? But like, she really is. That she good. is that. That's the whole <laughs> She's thing. That good. Yeah. It's in just in the way I've sort of say about, you know, about athletes, you know, we take for granted that Michael Jordan is this. And just, you know, obviously art is subjective and you don't have to love Beyonce. You don't have to be Beyonce's biggest fan or anything, mm-hmm. but you have to recognize that she is the GOAT. So thank you once again for listening to another episode of Catch Up. Uh, once again, we just want to mention our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash catchuppodcast. Your contribution will be greatly appreciated and will help support us to create many more deep dives into the artists and music that you love and probably some stuff you don't know about that we would love to talk about with you. Um, also, if you're in Toronto, we are doing our five-year anniversary party of Boosie Fade the party that started it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's at the shop, which is in Toronto's West End. It is Friday, May 3rd. It's going to be a big-ass night. I'm going to pop some champagne, probably. Mm-hmm. I might give you a glass if you're around and you said that, and you and you referenced the fact that I mentioned that I might give you a glass <laughs> on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, yeah, come out. It'll be, you don't want to miss it. I mean, Boozy Fade is a very special thing. We DJ a lot of venues and there's nothing quite like it. There's nothing like it. And lastly, a great way to support us in this podcast journey is to tell a friend. I just want to shout out uh, Eddie from Long Beach mm. in California, who sent us a, a really kind message this week and is talking about spreading the word for us out in California. We appreciate you, Eddie. Thank you for listening. Um, and shout out our American, our new American listeners. You guys are everywhere. It's yeah. like, we've we noticed that our, our listenership in the past month is our American listenership has doubled our Canadian listenership. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. You know, we love America, you know, and... uh, God God bless it and whatnot. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, uh, often we reference kind of Toronto-centric stuff, but uh, we're glad that what we're doing still speaks to you. We got our man in Zurich, too. True. We actually have listeners in 35 countries, but that's for another time. We're just going to get out of your hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, We'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. Take care.